Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. that it is a good morning whether I want it or not. Please go away, let me speak for the love of God! I've been so... Let's just not talk until the drop hits. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 wait till the drop. Like, how, how good? How good is this music, though, bitch? I really like this. Uh... No, 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 no. Wait for the drop, dude. <laughs> Giorgio Moroda, absolute legend. This is the part where Virginia Madison... <laughs> hang on, hang on. It's about to drop, dude. And there it is, <laughs> the sweet sounds of Giorgio Moroda, taken from one of the more iconic scenes from Electric Dreams way back in 1984. Ben, do you have that sort of relationship with your computer? If my computer <laughs> was conscious, <laughs> I would be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> like, a lot of trouble. <laughs> and my computer, like, if it was based on... You know, like if like if it developed its personality based on on my viewing habits, <laughs> it'd be like it'd be like Rodney Dangerfield in Natural Born Killers. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure your mouse is very well clicked. Yeah, I know. I had to, <laughs> I had to replace. I had to replace it because it all got gunked up. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, if you love Electric Dreams, uh, then type in Fake Shemp electric dreams into google because we recorded a podcast a couple of years ago dedicated to the movie and um so yeah do yourself a favor rewind digress and um have a listen to that but we are not here to talk about that today but rather we're on some kind of cyber techish note with today's show and we'll, we'll explain that in a few minutes <laughs> what was that what it sounded like you farted no my chair just squeaked <laughs> Perfectly, I'm perfectly happy to admit that I am 42 years old, and yet the thing that will, without fail, um, have me crack up is a fart <laughs> I need to reposition my chair. But uh, congratulations for pressing play on today's show, because you have stumbled on Good at Movie Monday, the weekly movie show presented by FakeShamp.net, home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings. My name is Glenn Cochran, and I like a nice long hard drive, and my co-host is Ben Helwig, who always inserts a floppy. How are you, mate? Very good. Very good. <laughs> that was a that was a great joke in uh, in the League of Gentlemen Christmas. Uh, no, not Christmas. The, the movie League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse. The weird pedophile priest uh, always backs up onto a floppy. <laughs> so many erectile function dysfunction jokes. So little erection. <laughs> hey, do you know what they call a singing computer? No, Adele. 
and we just keep, they keep getting worse and worse, Glenn. <laughs> so all of this rubbish computer speak is probably pretty insulting to our guest <laughs> on today's show because um, he's something of an auteur when it comes to tech-infused filmmaking. He's also a computer FX wizard. So Neil Blomkamp, the guy who gave us District 9, Elysium and Chappie, and he has a brand new horror film called Demonic dropping onto home entertainment this week. He's going to be up in a little bit. We're going to have a chat about his new movie. So stick around for that. Did you know that you went to high school with Neil Blomkamp? <laughs> That's a fun fact. I'm not sure if you realize that. There are a few ways we could have tied today's show into Neil. We could have gone down the whole demonic movies wormhole, but rather we've chosen to discuss movies that we would love to see Neil Blomkamp remake. I think that's going to be a lot more fun. We could have done high school movies as well. <laughs> that's going to that's gonna play out very nicely later, mate. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> now, of course, um, Neil had previously been attached to the Alien sequel, as well as a RoboCop sequel. So I guess we're kind of running with that fantasy today. What movies would be amazing if he remade them? But of course, the crew are back again for another week. Jarrett Garn wants to tell you all about what's coming out on Home Entertainment this week. Guillermo Troncoso has some movie news from Screen Realm. Adam Ross has a recommendation teed up for you. And the Boneheads will be spitting lyrical about Neil Blomkamp, plus a snippet from Chloe, who should be back on the show next week if all goes to plan. And um, we've got a couple of banger songs for you too. But um, before we move on, Ben, let's touch upon some Norm MacDonald because, uh, you know, we haven't done a celebrity death watch for a while and this one is a banger. <laughs> this is the one that uh, pretty much wrecked me and we did record a tribute video which is up on our social media pages now, but I wanted to incorporate something into the show as well. What a what a loss. Mm. I actually, I spent, uh, I pretty much spent the uh, last couple of days just watching Norm clips on YouTube, like I watched all his stuff from when he was hosting the Canadian, the whatever the Canadian Academy Awards, yeah, which is hilarious. Like you, and you can physically see him almost have an aneurysm trying not to offend too many people. <laughs> I try not to be too harsh at some of the shit talent. And of course, if you're if you're an avid listener to our show, you'll know that we quote Norm Macdonald on almost every single episode. So that's you know that explains why it's been such a big hit for us. But I also sort of went down a bit of a wormhole and naturally I went and watched hours and hours of his jokes on cards because they are my favorite things that he has ever done. But um, I also went and revisited that monologue he does for SNL the year after he got fired when he got invited back. Right. Oh, that's the one that Chris Gatan didn't appear on because apparently they were having a, a feud. <laughs> Maybe, but it's the one where he pretty much just slagged the show off completely and just went to town on them. And you kind of get the feeling that the jokes weren't vetted, like that he had given them another list of jokes that he was going to do, and then he just came out right. with that. And because it's live, there's nothing they could do about it. Nothing they could do. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, yes, Norm MacDonald, um, rest in peace. We're not going to stop quoting him, though. Like, we're always going to quote Norm. Well, I mean, I look, I, you know, contra contradict me if, uh, if I'm wrong, but uh, I would imagine that for both of us, Dirty Work would be on our, like, one of our Desert Island movies. Oh, without a doubt. Absolutely. And I had just watched it, like, the week before. Yeah. Like, it is a, it is a uh, perennial comedy. It's definitely up there. And it's not even, like, when you think it's not, like, it doesn't, it doesn't reinvent the wheel or anything like that. Like, it's not like this kind of breakthrough it's just fucking funny. <laughs> totally. And what more does it? What more does a do you need from a comedy? Like it is just, 
you know, it's just hilarious. Yeah, it's just full. Of, it's full of great moments. Hello, real cops. <laughs> yeah, like I was gonna say, I don't. I have never, like, every time I think about the police in my head, I call them real cops. <laughs> just from that scene. Hello, real cops. It's uh, you know, you know, if anyone ever threatens to punch me in the stomach, I'm like, that's such and such's job. <laughs> yeah, that's my job. <laughs> Oh man, here's a here's a here's a joke that Norm might be uh proud of. What do you call a creepy pervy IT teacher? Don't know. A PDF file. <laughs> That's definitely a, a like a joke on a card. <laughs> That's where I got it. <laughs> Uh, so on the topic of cybertech type of movies, um, just a random question for you, Ben. Do you prefer the Matrix or Dark City? It's a good question. I, oh, I don't know. Like it, it. I remember thinking that Dark City had, like, I thought it was the greatest opening of a movie of all time. Like, I love the idea of this, you know, private detective looking guy waking up in a hotel room with no memory of who he is or, or how he got there. I thought that's a that's a fantastic opening to a film. The rest of the film, for the life of me, can't remember any of it. I couldn't tell you what it's what it's about. Um, you know, like and the Matrix. The Matrix was like a revelation when I saw it, and now when I go back to it, I'm like, yeah, I don't really give a shit. Yeah. So I don't, I really have to watch Dark City again. It's always going to be Dark City for me. But my the big the, sorry the big reason that I haven't gone back and watched it, I, I think really is that I don't know if I'm really ready to accept Rufus Sewell as a hero again. <laughs> like he's just, he's so good as like the B grade villain Jude Law in everything else. <laughs> I don't know if I can watch him as a, as the lead. That's another Bennerism that uh, travels well, mate. Yeah. Constantly talking about Rufus Sewell. <laughs> he, Sewell? Sewell? He's what, like every time he's in something, I'm like, like it, it actually really bothered me in uh, King Arthur. Where it's Jude Law, and I'm like, no, Jude Law, you're nice guy, Jude Law. If you're playing a villain, Rufus Sewell has that part. <laughs> Not you. This is outrageous. But um, yes, I agree. <laughs> and and because of you, I can never look at him the same way either. <laughs> but the nineties was a great era for those virtual sort of movies. You had the Lawnmower Man and 13th Floor and Existence, even Ghost in the Machine. But um and I'm sure if Neil Blomkamp got his hands on any one of those, he'd do something completely unique with them. Mm. And we will dive into that what if scenario kind of stuff in just a few minutes. But let's uh, throw it to Jarrett, see what's coming out, and let him do some talking. Hey, this is Jarrett, and welcome to PE class. Now, my favorite time of year for home entertainment is fast approaching. It's October, as it's typically when all the major distributors decide to release their horror product on home end. So we're talking anniversary editions of classic horror titles as well as souped up special editions of recent theatrical horror releases. Uh, and this year the distributors are getting in a little early because we're going to see some of these titles land this week. Case in point being with Universal Sony, they're releasing Neil Blomkamp's Demonic. Now this one is a bit of a genre blender. It's like a horror sci-fi tech thriller. It's a bit more of a grassroots approach for Neil as well. It's stripped back, it was shot during the pandemic. 
Uh, so it's quite different from his studio sci-fi films, but very much a Neil Blomkamp film in that it deals with technology and utilizes some amazing technology to produce some images you've never seen before in a film, which is pretty cool. So that one's out on Blu-ray and DVD this week. And of course, Glenn is talking to Neil on this very episode of Good Movie Monday. Then Escape Room Tournament of Champions is coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. Now this is actually exciting because this is going to have a theatrical and extended cut. So this extended cut apparently puts one of the characters that was kind of really cut down, the game maker. You you do see her in this, a carryover character from the first film. And she's become a game maker in the second film. But you only see her briefly. They're going to flesh out that storyline. So it has really an alternate beginning and alternate ending uh, and I'm very excited to see it myself I wasn't a massive fan of the escape room sequel I'm hoping that this extended cut might win me over a little more but aside from the two cuts there is three featurettes also on the blu-ray release of that title then the forever purge now is this going to be the final purge film I don't think so because this week Frank Grillo said that he is working on a new Purge movie. So it's like, what? Okay, I thought this was all done and dusted. Well, it's not. The Forever Purge is very much more of the same, but I'm cool with that because I'm fascinated by The Purge, like the TV series, the series of films. It's just, I find it endlessly fascinating and I'm shattered that they only did two seasons of the TV show. I think it could have gone on forever, but yeah, I'm, I'm really down. And I mean, The Forever Purge isn't adding much more to the universe but it's very enjoyable and the blu-ray release is loaded with special features you've got an alternate storyboard opening you've got deleted scenes and you've got two featurettes on there so that's coming out on blu-ray and dvd and of course in traditional fashion of all the purge films this film did not play theatrically in australia not one of them has uh it's going straight to home end uh now the last release from universal sony despite the title is not a horror film it's a action thriller it's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. It's called Out of Death, and it stars Bruce Paycheck Willis and Jamie, where have I been for the last decade, King. Then moving on to Roadshow. Now, Roadshow are releasing Werewolves Within on DVD, DVD only, no Blu-ray release. This is the second feature from Josh Rubin. You may remember I mentioned his name last week. That's because his first feature, Scam Me, just came out on Blu-ray and DVD. It's a Shutter original, of course. And Glenn spoke to Josh on a previous podcast that you can dive back and listen to. So that one's coming out on DVD. Then In the Heights is coming out on Blu-ray and DVD, the recent theatrical musical. Now, this one's got a ton of special features on there. On the Blu-ray, you've got a six-part documentary that runs at around 40-odd minutes. You've got some sing-along numbers. And they've got this thing that advertising as instant access to the musical numbers. So essentially, it's glorified scene selection. Then the last release from Roadshow this week is from the Warner Catalog, and it's Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. This will be making its 4K Ultra HD debut, and it's going to port over all the special features from the previous Blu-ray. Plus, it has this amazing 4K restoration that was performed in-house by Warner, but in consultation and overseen by Kubrick's estate, as well as his longtime right-hand man, Leon Vitale. So very exciting anyway that's it for me for this week until next time stay physical thank you jared um what jared did not mention uh is that cranston academy is uh coming out on dvd this week and that's the perfect opportunity for me to tell you all about next week's show because we do have ruby rose 
uh, as our guest, who is one of the stars of Cranston Academy, and she's going to be on the show to talk all about the movie. And I'm not kidding, this is a, actually a really good kids animated scary film. So it's a bit like Jumanji meets Goosebumps, and um, we're going to talk about kids horror movies next week, Ben. That'll be good. That'd be great. And um, something else that Jarrett did not mention, simply because we are a movie-related show, but uh, there is uh, a release coming out next week of The Web of Fear, which is the Lost uh, series of Doctor Who from back in 1968, I think it is. The only reason I bring it up now is because I had a chance to chat with the director of that um, and... The interview features in Stack Magazine at the moment. So not movie related, but if you are interested in Doctor Who and that lost episode, um, check it out. It's a good interview, Stack Magazine, stack.com.au. Who's the doctor in that one? Oh, second doctor in. I can't remember his name. It's, what's his name? It's the Mo. It's Mo from the Three Stooges. <laughs> yeah, yes. Got like, it's supposed to be a Beatles haircut. It's, um, yeah. <laughs> oh. Now I can't think of his name, but he, uh, it's so weird because he's clearly like 40 years too old to be sporting a Beatles haircut. So who decided to, <laughs> to put it on? But the, um, the Web of Fear was a series that got lost entirely and for 40 years. And then it was discovered by some archivist in Nigeria, except for one episode of this little serial. And that episode is still lost to this day, but... They have gone and recreated the entire thing based on the um, the camera script as well as the audio that had been salvaged, and they've animated it. So, but they've animated it in three D. So the camera kind of tracks the characters to make it fit with the other episodes. So it's very fascinating, and we oh. yeah. So we talk all about that. But um, we've got some we've got some movies to propose for Neil Blomkamp to remake, <laughs> and you know Neil is a very viscerally. Uh, arresting type of filmmaker so i think regardless of the story he's telling there's always something totally unique about his films as i said at the start of the show he was attached to do the fifth alien movie um as well as robocop or a direct sequel too um and for various reasons they fell through but what if he could get his hands on some movies let's speculate ben do you want to kick this one off uh all right uh you know what i what i really like about about neil's films uh, is that they are they for me they are the closest that we've come to the quality of kind of the original like a new hope star wars where everything's like trash like it's the future but it's not like a clean you know it's not a clean future where everything is perfect and it's all white corridors and uh mm-hmm. you know pristine like medical lab type stuff like in star wars like there's a lot of junk like yep. a lot of spa- you know and there's poor people and people who are like flying in space on pieces of trash and stuff like you know that's and they they kind of they do it again in firefly that's very firefly as well uh and so that's so my films pretty much are a lot of feature a lot of trash so we say the first one is is actually a film that you brought up last week directed by your uh your hero albert Pugh. <laughs> yes uh in, in, called amiga doom Woo. from 1996 which is it's part three of his uh, cyborg trilogy. The first two being what cyborg and um, masters of the universe. I mean, uh, <laughs> what's the second one? Knights. 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 That's right. Knights. Yeah. And it stars a uh, Rutger Hauer. It's basically, it's, it's Yo Jimbo or uh, fistful of dollars or last man standing or a gazillion other um, the film was based on Yojimbo with where the, you know, mm-hmm. basically the stranger comes to town, a town that's uh, where two halves of the town are fighting each other and he plays one off against the other for personal gain. 
And this one happens to be set uh, in a, I guess, I guess it's a post-apocalyptic future, but it's not really, I don't think it's earth. It's like, it's, it's on a it's just it's on a planet it's some... it, let's just call it the the leftover sets from nemesis 2 or something like that yeah <laughs> where yeah where there's been a there's been a, a giant war has been fought between uh, cyborgs and humans and the cyborgs won uh but just before uh the the last battle one robot soldier called omega doom which is a great name like it's such an <laughs> such a great name for like just one of a million soldiers <laughs> in this war like his name just happens to be cool but that's rutger how he gets shot in the eye and it destroys the part of his programming that uh, hates humans yeah but yep. the but the cyborgs win and they theoretically wipe out all of um humanity and then they're kind of just left to their own devices and of course everything goes to shit and the, the the world is kind of like this destitute junkyard um and then these rumors start circulating about this uh, a secret human army that's been gathering its strength uh somewhere hidden somewhere which uh, sounds a bit implausible but uh <laughs> fine and so um the when when this uh, mega doom kind of character he now He's become Kwai uh, Chang Kane, basically, and he wanders the earth, <laughs> uh, causing... But unlike Kane, he doesn't solve problems. He causes problems. And he comes to this town where there's two warring factions of robots. A, uh, like, the, the, there are the droids who are kind of, like, like slightly older, kind of crapped-out kind of junkyard robots. Mm -hmm. And then there's the... Uh, oh, I can't remember the other ones. The, the, but they're the, the newer updated kind of they look like they're in the matrix yes. they look like Mr. Yeah. on the matrix and the other ones look like cyborg like the the evil um kind of gang in in cyborg yep funnily yep. enough and that's their that gang is led by shannon worry which who's an odd choice to lead a cyborg gang yet fantastic <laughs> in the film though she doesn't last that long spoiler <laughs> but uh, basically he comes to town and there are these two and they've because they've discovered some weapons cache that they can use to uh, not only wipe out their competition in the town, but also defeat the this the looming presence of this human army that's that's about to destroy all robot kind. Uh, and uh, Rutger Hauer pretends to know where the location of this weapons cache is and plays the two opposing forces off against each other for um, yeah his own his own nefarious purposes. But it is a great idea, and it actually is he like you know I'll say this for Albert Pune like clearly working on a, on a fairly low budget, but Rutger Hauer is so damn charismatic that he carries the film very well. Norbert, uh, Norbert Weister mm -hmm. is great as the head. It's my favorite Norbert Weister performance. He's, he's fantastic. Everyone else, it, they don't, they don't really matter. Like they're just there. They're just there to uh, give uh, Rutger Hauer someone to, uh, uh, you know, char charisma off. <laughs> Uh, but it is it is like it's a great idea like a sci-fi version of a fistful of dollars yep. is is fantastic and i would love to see a Blumkamp version of that yeah it would be amazing you'd have to have norman weiser as the head he'd have to return like that would be the one caveat <laughs> yes like it can't be it can't be uh that guy from uh d antwood it has to be uh <laughs> no ninja no ninja <laughs> but um yeah no i agree and and norbert has uh, listened to this show several times. So let's hope he's listening to this one. Um, that would be fantastic. But yeah, no, the, the atmosphere of Omega Doom is amazing. 
albeit the <laughs> the the opening scenes with the sunset and all that, but pretty yeah, pretty <laughs> pretty average. <laughs> no, but it's like it's surprisingly good. Like even though it looks like it was shot in like so like this like a deserted town in Siberia or something. Like it's like the set is actually mm. pretty good. He doesn't he keeps it fairly tightly contained like they don't go there's no there's not a lot of exploring or anything like that in the yep. film he keeps it to kind of a set couple of locations but those locations really work um, now i know i know that this podcast is the unofficial albert pune show but um <laughs> there there is a reason that he made the most films out of any filmmaker for canon because he made an amazing product for the limited resources he had and that's a good yep. example of it and um and I, I actually have my hands on a director's cut of, of all three of the um cyborg films, like the the trilogy, including um Knights, which Knights is a great film. That's Lance Henriksen and Chris Christopherson. Very, very cool. I haven't seen it. I've got it on tape, but I think I think it was released by Home Cinema Group. Yeah. From memory. And that's on a that's on a shelf that I need a ladder to get up to get. <laughs> I keep I was looking at it this week and I'm like, uh and I've got to move stuff out of the way in front of that shelf to get the ladder close enough, even with the ladder to get up there and reach it. I'm like, do I want to see it that much? <laughs> All right. Yeah, or will the will the Russian dubbed version on YouTube uh, do the job? <laughs> well, you know, I could talk about Albert Pune all night, so I bet I best move on. Just um, otherwise, we'll put everybody to sleep. But <laughs> I ummed and ahed this week over whether I do movies that weren't very good and would benefit from a remake or movies that were good but would benefit from a modern update um so i've i've chosen my first one i've chosen is definitely a good movie but i'll tell you what it would benefit from a retelling i'm talking about like the hugely underrated runaway from 1984 starring tom Selleck and cynthia rhodes and kirstie alley as well as gene simmons from kiss as the villain i might add but this is a fucking fantastic movie directed by michael crichton who of course wrote Jurassic Park and Westworld and Dromeda Strain, uh, even Sphere amongst many others. But the story takes place in a not too distant future where every household has a domestic robot, which you know performs all the chores around the house. You think, <laughs> think Rosie from the Jetsons. Um, and every so often they malfunction. And Tom Selleck plays a cop in charge of what's called the Runaway Squad, whose job is to police the robots that become a threat or a danger to humans. But in this world, that division of the police force is pretty much ridiculed by everyone else because it's a typically non-eventful job because the robots are pretty much perfect. But he's, him and his partner, Cynthia Rhodes, suddenly find themselves heading up the first robotic homicide case because there's this domestic robot that slaughters an entire family. And, of course, through investigation, they discover that there's strange circuits inside the robot. And when they, when they um, start getting deeper into the investigation, they unravel a whole plot from a, a psychotic computer genius played by Gene Simmons. He has a plot to sort of mass-produce these microchips that make the robots malfunction with the, an end game of, you know, pretty much wiping out, you know, humans. Uh, it's pretty cool stuff. It takes a leaf out of a lot of things, but... You know, this is Michael Crichton. You know, this is the guy who's famous for writing stories about technology gone wrong. And I kind of think this one was a little bit ahead of its time because it arrived before Robocop and Total Recall, but I just don't think that people were ready for it at this point in time. I think it was a little too hokey. But if you watch it, you know, it's it holds up really well. Yes, it's got some dodgy, you know, 80s props and costumes and all that, but the story and, like, the... 
The police procedural stuff is fantastic. And it has uh, possibly the greatest mustache in you know, movie history. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, pop culture. I'm going to do a Ben and, and reference something that I reference many times every time Tom Selleck is brought up on the show. But the great fight gets steps on doing the toilet. Google Tom Selleck waterfall sandwich and <laughs> enjoy. Enjoy. You know what I would love to see? I would love to see. Is that Playgirl shoot? <laughs> well, combine that with Guillermo waterfall sandwich. <laughs> yes. How's it going, everybody? It's Guillermo here from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favorite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. I'm here to quickly tell you a little bit about what we've covered on the website in the past week. Kicking off with Christopher Nolan landing his next film at a studio. As I told you guys last week, Nolan has another World War II era film in the works, and he's been looking to set the project up at another studio, taking him away from Warner Brothers, who he's been with for around two decades of collaborations. Well, Universal Pictures has landed the project, coming on board to both finance and distribute. Nolan will direct and has written the screenplay, focusing on theoretical physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer, who had a big part to play in the creation of the atom bomb that was successfully detonated on July 1945 and then struck Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So Nolan will be with Universal this time as the studio has accepted his terms, which according to Hollywood Reporter include at least a 100 day theatrical window, around a $100 million budget, equal marketing spend, 20% of first dollar gross and a blackout period where the studio does not release another movie for three weeks before and after the feature. Stay tuned for more as this one comes to life. Twins sequel Triplets is finally going ahead with Tracy Morgan joining Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. That's right, after years and years of development hell, the sequel that once had Eddie Murphy poised to play the third sibling is going ahead. Albeit without Murphy, Tracy Morgan has been brought on to play the part instead, with Murphy's schedule reportedly too full following his coming to America's success to get the movie made in the time needed. Director Ivan Reitman explained the plot to Deadline, saying, Secretly, there was a third baby born, a black baby who hasn't been in touch with his siblings. They don't know each other and very early in the movie they meet and it's how they achieve a bond together after all these years. It's really a film about family and no matter how different we all are, we have to learn to get along. Reitman and his stars are sending out a sizzle reel to potential buyers at the Toronto Film Festival market. The current plan is to have triplets in production in January 2022. A reboot of Arnold Schwarzenegger's 1996 action flick Eraser has been filmed under the radar in the US. Lined up as a Warner Brothers home entertainment release, Eraser Reborn will be led by Dominic Sherwood, known for Shadowhunters, The Mortal Instruments, and Penny Dreadful City of Angels. The film was directed by John Pogue, whose directing credits include 2014 horror film The Quiet Ones, 2018 action thriller Blood Brother, and 2020 sequel Deep Blue Sea 3. Eraser Reborn's plot follows US Marshal Mason Pollard, who specializes in engineering the fake deaths of witnesses that need to leave no trace of their existence. As of now, that film is expected to be released in the first half of 2022. And another week, another sad loss, Norm Macdonald, the renowned comedian whose large body of work includes Saturday Night Live, a number of television runs, many appearances in various films, has passed away sadly at the age of 61. Rest in peace, Norm. You will be missed. That about does it for me, guys. Be sure to go to ScreenRealm.com for the latest movie news, TV news, all that jazz. There's been a ton of trailers in the past week, so go check them all out. Hope everyone's doing well out there. Thanks for having me. I'm out of here.
Well, that's a grouse little instrumental called Illest Gangster on the Block from Neil Blomkamp's Chappie from 2015. So let's talk about Neil Blomkamp for a moment. Um, prior to his new film, Demonic, um, the last film he had done was Chappie in 2015. Some people, um, some people really dissed on that one. I don't get the hate. Did you enjoy that? I enjoyed Chappie, yeah. I yeah. thought it was great. I mean, I think it's hard because um, uh, his first film was so good mm. and so like such so out of nowhere that when you know when you follow that up a couple of times and people expect that kind of lightning in a bottle every time and they don't get it i mean he's much better than uh, than shamalama ding dong <laughs> whose follow-up films have all been terrible <laughs> after kind of but like he I mean, I mean i know people would disagree with me because they, there's a lot of rabid unbreakable fans out there <laughs> i remember that film but Oh no, I that's the one I do I do um froth over. But as far as like Neil's films, each film is kind of unique unto its own. Like he has an aesthetic that's recognizable as a sort of an auteur, but he hasn't made the same film twice, unlike Ramalama Ding Dong. But uh, <laughs> But a lot of people wonder why he takes so long between projects as well, and that's because he has a production company called Oak Studios and they produce a whole lot of uh, short films and commercials and really innovative stuff. He's always sort of dabbling with, you know, technology and he does discuss that a little bit in a moment. He's a James Cameron type. <laughs> he totally is. Just, you know, the, the small scale James Cameron. You know, some suggest that it was Chappie was the reason that Alien 5 was taken away from him because the rumour is that Ridley Scott saw Chappie and it rubbed him the wrong way. And he's like, that guy's not touching Alien. I would have thought that film was the perfect example of why he should do Alien. I would have thought Ridley Scott didn't have a say in it. Well, the other Ridley no, Ridley Scott wields a lot of power when it comes to Alien. But the the interesting thing there is that Neil Blomkamp began his career with Ridley Scott because he worked for the the visual effects company that Scott owned, and you know, so I would have thought that it was a given. But whatever, what would I know? I think Chappie's great. Who knows about the pod? There's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why things don't happen. It could be like we we want to shoot we want to shoot in the summer of '69, and he's got something else that he's doing and can't do it, and so then they pass, or you know they cast an actor that he doesn't like, or <laughs> no, like well, or an actor doesn't like him, or like I I only work with uh, you know Leonardo DiCaprio, I only want to work with with uh, Scorsese or you know whatever, so. Yeah, who knows? There's a million reasons why things don't go ahead. And understandably, like, um, there, there's a level of integrity with him as well because he doesn't like to really talk about these things, things that have, you know, fallen through or just in the past. He's, like, not interested in, in rehashing it. And the closest he got was with Mick Garris recently on Postmortem on that podcast, the hour-long conversation they had. You know, that's the most I think you're going to get out of him. And even he shot down a lot of those questions about the alien and Robocop, but... um. Anyway, his new film is Demonic, and it's part of that new wave of COVID-19 lockdown kind of movies. Um, it was made during the first wave of the pandemic when the world was shutting down. And I guess it's his smallest film, but probably his most resourceful one, if you actually think about it. Uh, it's a great example of using limitations to your advantage and that kind of stuff. So it is a demonic possession movie with a difference, and uh, let's have a listen to uh, my chat with Neil. Yeah, Neil, how are you, mate? Good. How are you? Yeah, doing really good. Before um, I'm like we're a gonna... stormtrooper. <laughs> yeah, everyone says that. It's um, it's a good prop to have sitting right there. Uh, feels kind of appropriate speaking to you as well. But um, hey, before I get started, I wanted to just sort of mention that um, although we never really crossed paths, you and I capped off our high school years at West Van High together. That's crazy. I saw that in the in the the sort of 
form that I got sent from the Australians. And that's like, that's super interesting. So were you, were you there in 97? Yeah. Were we in the same grade? I believe so. I was, um, I think I graduated in 98. Okay. Yeah. That would have been correct. That's so crazy, man. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> so were you just, were, were you just on like a, a sort of Canadian, I don't know, like a, a chunk of, of high school in Canada? Just the um, final two years or year and a half. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. that's that's uh, that's so weird. And Candice Candice McClure is also from West Ham. Exactly. I was going to talk about her in a moment. Which, um, mm-hmm. given that our time is a little bit limited here, I'll I'll get straight into asking you some questions. But um, congrats on the film, um, made under exceptional circumstances. Was the idea of Demonic born out of COVID, or was the pandemic a convenient sort of excuse to bring an old story to life? No, it was. Uh... It was a case of the pandemic slowing everything down, and I wanted to just keep working on something fun. So, um, and I, I always wanted to do something kind of like the Blair Witch Project, like some kind of self-financed, you know, horror movie. And so, once I decided to do that, like around maybe April of 2020, um, I just had a bunch of different ideas for things that I was probably going to experiment with in in different ways, and I just sort of put them into a blender to create a small horror film right and given like the the circumstances of you know when you shot was there a sense of anxiety from people involved given the state of lockdowns and things like that um i i don't you know in in general i think people um wanted something to do like the crew i was working with was pretty happy to be working on something uh, so there wasn't there wasn't that much hesitation. I mean, we we had all of the protocols in place and you know followed them, but it was still very early on. Like because the movie had eight months or nine months of VFX, it feels like it's way later than than it actually was in terms of uh, when it was shot. Like it was very early in the process. So uh, things I'm not actually sure that lockdowns had. I don't remember when the lockdowns occurred. I mean, obviously, if if Canada was in an actual lockdown, we wouldn't have been able to shoot. So I don't know if that came later or before. I like my memory is so bad, I can never remember. But I would say people were generally quite into the idea of of having something to work on. Yeah, right. And um, yeah. you you know, having lived in Vancouver myself, you know, I didn't recognize any of the locations that you that you shot in. Um, whereabouts did you the film the exteriors? It's actually not Vancouver. It's four hours east of Vancouver. It's much more arid and, and deserty than, than the evergreen uh, Pacific Northwest Vancouver look. So um, yeah, if you it's it's called the Okanagan Valley. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you went there when you were when you were in BC, but um, if you go if you drive for about four or five hours east of Van, you you would hit it. It's where it's where the American high desert crosses into Canada. Ah, gotcha. Because yeah, it's it's a, got a really unique look to it. Um which I guess sort of, you know, helps uh, the production sort of even even more. But um, fascinating, um, the concept itself is fascinating. And I know your work is always original and unique, but were there any influences for you making this film? Man, it, the movie is just so weird in the way that it came yeah. out. Like it's, it's, it's hard to point to anything that was a reference other than just liking the idea of what what the filmmakers behind Paranormal Activity did. Like the original version of, of the movie was shooting in my house. It was gonna be my house that it was in, right? And uh, so it was very um, it was very inspired by the uh, roll up your sleeves kind of make it happen yourself vibe of, of Paranormal. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I mean, on a creative level, it's hard to point to 
references that I was consciously aware of, which is, you know, it's, a, it's just a weird film that way. I, I'm not really sure what I was doing. I was just blending stuff together. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Like that, that, I guess, adds just to that, um, that, that funky sort of um, quirkiness of it as well. Like mm. it's, and, and strange and innovative um, special effects have become part and parcel with your work. Can you explain for the layman what volumetric capture is? Uh, yeah, I mean, volumetric capture is basically the idea of, of capturing a three-dimensional virtual model of whatever it is that you're capturing. In this case, it was two actresses, but, but you, you capture a three-dimensional version of, of them 24 times a second that, that is like a CAD file. It's completely viewable from any angle. Uh, which is very different to motion capture because motion capture you're you're taking the motion from something and then you're applying it to something that could be completely different like like your stormtrooper behind you you would apply mm -hmm. the motion to a different object so volumetric capture is more like locking into the the look as in wardrobe and hair and makeup of the actor at that given second and just three-dimensionalizing it and you have no ability to change it later Right. Is this something that you've applied previously or is this the first time? Um, well, it's used, it's used in VFX in the way that usually it's just a still image. It's a still single thing. So if you wanted to, uh, if you wanted to capture a location in 3D, like if you wanted to capture uh, Notre Dame as a, as, you know, as a three-dimensional object, you could use photogrammetry to make a three-dimensional object of that, an architectural model. Like all of Google Earth actually is photogrammetry if you're in the 3D mode. Uh, that's how those buildings are, are created. So um, I haven't really used it in this way. I've only used it, I've, I mean, all filmmakers use it in VFX in, in the way that it's single locations or objects. The weird thing with, with Demonic is the fact that it's moving. Yeah. And were you, were you really confident in applying it this way? Well, I knew, I knew it would look exactly the way that it looks, which is, yeah, cool. uh, which is why you need a low budget kind of um, framework to be able to experiment with. Uh, because, I mean, you could, you, you know, you just have to justify it to the audience that it's kind of like glitchy in the way that the narrative is structured around it. Um, but it's still, I love this kind of, it looks to me like lo-fi indie filmmaking, uh, lo-fi VFX indie film, which is, I like that. I like the idea of that. Uh, and, and it kind of the look sort of suits it, which is this, this gritty, broken, polygonal, um, you know, it's just an interesting aesthetic. Yeah, right. And um, moving towards the cast here, you've got a great cast in here. And as you mentioned before, Candace McClure, um, a West Van alumni. Do you two go back to those days or did you sort of um, catch up with her later in, in the years? Well, it, it was actually really, um, was really interesting because I had worked with Carly on a lot of the Oat Studio stuff that we've done online. And I just became a really big fan of hers. I knew her from Elysium, but I, but I, really, I really got to know her during the making of some of the Oats pieces. And so this was just basically like a giant version of, well, it's actually not giant. I mean, it's smaller than some of the Oats pieces financially, but it was a two hour version. It was a feature version of, of what we were doing before. So when I, when I was putting it together, I was like, well, which actors would be cool to do this, this thing with? And Carly felt like, you know, a really great person to kind of build it around. 
And so I was, I was kind of picking her brain about other, I, I had other uh, Oates kind of alumni that I wanted to use, but for other roles, I was asking her who she thought would be really great in this, this kind of environment, this low budget sort of more pressured environment. And um, she suggested Terry Chen, who I also had worked with on Elysium, who I love as an actor, and Candace McClure. And which was super cool because I, you know, the whole West Van thing kind of uh, just, it just fit neatly. So I met her again for the first time on pretty much on location for the movie. And uh, it, was, it was super cool working with her. I'm a fan of hers. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, sort of you know, just out of interest. I've been following her stuff you know, for years. Um, same with mm-hmm. yours. I mean, um, I've kind of known about you since 3,000 Miles to Graceland and the Rainmaker days. Oh, yeah, right. When did you <laughs> leave Canada? Uh, I left Canada in 99. So it was at the end of high school, basically. And yeah, I, I did a little stint there. at the Vancouver Film School and then um, like a okay. few courses and things and then and came back here and did film studies. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, man, 3,000 Miles to Graceland is going <laughs> way back. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you did the Scorpion stuff, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, that, that was hilarious. Trevor Kaywood and I, I think, I don't remember if anyone else was involved in that, but it was mostly Trev and I that were doing that. Yeah, intro right. sequence. <laughs> oh wow but um as as for demonic like it must have been a liberating process not to have sort of the pressures of um anyone higher up coming down and um enforcing their views uh, no i don't think so i think i mean it's better to have uh it's potentially better to have more resources so you know it's yeah i i mean it was it was just made in the same vein as a lot of the old stuff which is very very kind of just get your hands dirty and you know play around um but there's something very positive to be said about working on higher budget stuff too with studios you know yeah well what what in in the under the circumstances what would you say is the the most challenging aspect to making a film in in general in general yeah like was there one thing that overall everything else was more difficult for you to overcome just because of the restraints of budget and things like that I mean, yeah, it's, you know, normally you would, you would go about just showing anything that you want to show, like the third act conflict with the Vatican guys that we couldn't afford to do. Um, but I, it, in a way, it didn't really bother me because I like the idea of just unconventionally kind of removing that from, from the film. Um, but that would be an example. I mean, it was like, you know, we were seriously uh, constrained in terms of scope. So um but there's benefits as well, I suppose, you know, that it, or at least challenges that make it, uh, that make it interesting because you sort of solve problems in a different way. Yeah, right. Awesome. Cool. Well, anyway, that's, um, that's fantastic, man. I just appreciate you taking time out to chat. Um, it's been fantastic talking about this film and just sort of, you know, chatting with you in general. So thanks for your time. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's, I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome that we, we go back. So that's, that's rad. <laughs> cool. Now, dude, <laughs> you've been broadcasting the fact that I went to high school with Neil Blomkamp more than I have. <laughs> but I got to tell you, I do feel better now that the story has been verified. <laughs> he acknowledged it. <laughs> That's right. Yes, I will give you my real email address to contact me <laughs> in the future because we're legit pals. It's funny because my two experiences with different film schools on either side of the world have brushes with some people that have made it very big in Hollywood. 
And so, like, I, I wonder if people think I'm just bullshitting when I'm, like, I went to school with James Wan and Lee Winnell and people like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, here, I'll just pick up those names. <laughs> <laughs> I want to drop another name. Um, there's a, a mutual friend that Neil and I had at high school, Josh Whittle, who became a filmmaker as well. And he made two films called The Gutter Diaries and City of Vendettas. And he was also a graphic novel author. Um, did a graphic novel called The Black Project. Um, I just wanted to give him a shout out because he used to record a podcast too called The Generation X-Wing Podcast, which I think is still going, but without him. And um, he's the one that actually, you know, reminded me that we went to school with Neil Blomkamp because, you know, I didn't know Neil Blomkamp's face when I knew Neil Blomkamp's name, you know, when he started making movies. And he's like, oh, you know, this dude that went to high school, I'm like, fuck. That is the same dude. So, you know, I want to. I just wanted to shout out to Josh. He's a legend. I'm still in touch with him. Um, were you actually in the same class? Like, yeah, yeah, we were the same year level, and we 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 had a couple of classes. I'm trying to think. It might have been art class, which was a big wank. Like, you know, that was just come and go as you please type of thing. Right. And so a lot of a lot of big wanking happened in that. Uh, <laughs> take a toilet break. I'm at that age, miss. It's in here. I need to get it out. But a lot of um being That's in... not flag. <laughs> a lot of being in the cafeteria at the same time, I can tell you. <laughs> you actually went to like so it's like American high school. Yeah, totally. Like you went to Bradford Junior High kind of thing. Yeah, do you know what I loved well, the most? The most the thing I loved the most about high school in Canada was there was no obligation for you to rock up the class. And you were also free to just stand up and walk out at any point in time during the lesson because the onus was on you to pass your grades at the end of the year. So you absorb however much you want to absorb, but if that means you you flunk at the end of the year, that's on you. So I love that because right. halfway through math class, I just get up and go to the cafeteria and have a burger. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that that, that explains your uh, career at uh, <laughs> the Australian government in the code cracking department. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> but in the burger department, I've got it. <laughs> yeah. You worked in the cafeteria of NASA. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, a big thank you to Neil Blomkamp for taking the time to chat. You can see the video of our conversation on our social media pages from tomorrow night. Um, but now some more Blomkampiness from the Boneheads. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. He's got Neil Blomkamp on the show, and we couldn't be more excited. Fill these nipples. I don't know. So well, we're going back to Fun Size and not always, Funsies? I know. I never picked Funsies. Funsies is great. And should we talk about the fact that um, Ben feels like you and him have connected, Joe, and then at least it leaves me and James out in the dust? I want to tell a story real quick, but I'll have to cut it out of this because it'll take it too long. The interpreter at the Sunday as we were finishing up Lexington Comic Con looks over at me and goes, you know, you're right. The big fat furry ones do say hi to you a lot. Chad, Jane, yeah. as my friends, you know none of that what I just said was untruthful. Yeah. No, no, I mean, we attract our own. I'm yeah. chubby chased. So, I get neurotic. Let's people. talk about Neil Blomkamp real quick. <laughs> I, you know, a lot of people give a lot of crap to this movie, but I, Chad and I were talking about how much we both love Chappie. We do. We love the character of Chappie, and it has an amazing cast. Hugh Jackman, Dev Patel, Sigourney Weaver. And and the people who I hear there was a lot of arguments on set because Ninja, who plays Ninja, was playing Ninja. I like that in Yolandi. But what what I love about it is that he breaks my heart 
The only thing that I feel that he dropped the ball on, no offense, is I still can't get past Hugh Jackman's mullet. I just yeah. <laughs> I know it's a stylistic choice, but I'd like to know if it was Neil's or if it was Hugh. I'd like to think it was Hughes. Hughes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, uh, James, you go ahead and go. Yeah, I want to talk about something that he did that I'm sure neither of you have seen because you're not the nerd type that I am. So there was... You take this, that back. This particular <laughs> video game that was made. Anthem. Yeah. Anthem. Uh, my oh, son said that I play it, all that stuff. The game's fun. It's okay. The movie, the short uh, film four minutes long directed by the guest of honor today is phenomenal it is phenomenal you can watch it online you don't have to know what the game's about actually it helps if you don't i think because in four minutes the world building that is done in that is it it, it makes the game better Uh, the the game came out had some technical issues kind of fell off the face of the earth it's been they no longer support it that being said that movie there's emotion in it and it's four minutes it's less than four minutes i think it, so if you've never seen it, it's called, I'm blanking on actually, Conviction or something like that. Four minutes long. You can get, uh, you, it's on YouTube. Check it out. But uh, I honestly, I was watching it again before we recorded this. And I was like, I, I wish the game had that much emotion because I've I played the game for hours. And it does not have the emotion that that four minute has. So there you go. Uh, go I'm going to go a different approach because I want to talk about one of these projects that got away. Um, so Neil Bloomkamp, he is great with the dystopian feel of his films. I don't think anybody in our current climate captures that dystopian feel better than Neil. That being said, we missed a great opportunity when he didn't get to do his alien movie. And he says he's not going to do it. No yeah, way. He's not, he's not going to do it. There's no way. I'm going back, yeah. But it, was, uh, it would have been a great film. We would have seen the return of Hicks. And it had a great story. Just look up the artwork if you haven't checked out Neil Bloomkamp's Alien yet. It would have been an amazing film. And honestly, it would have probably been a sequel that rivaled Aliens, but we never got it. This has been Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Fuzzies! Thank you, Boneheads. Joe, Chad, and James. Their podcast is Bonehead Weekly. Find it, check it out. So, Benjamin, what would you like to see Neil Blomkamp make next? Uh, a rom-com with Joe and I. <laughs> yes. Ah, uh, yes. I'd like to see a Blomkamp rom-com. What rom-com uh, would he remake with you and Joe? That'd be an interesting one. Uh, Notting Hill, I'm thinking. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, two, two Bears in Love. <laughs> Something like that. The Incredible Strange Adventure of Two Bears in Love. <laughs> The other two guys could be in it as well. I mean, I can't remember their names, but I'm sure they could they could turn up and, you know, they could be extras. Yeah, like Maybe. yeah, James could be the um, James could be the Jason Alexander. He could be the Jason Alexander to Joe's Jack Black. Jack Black, yeah, that's right. And I'd... <laughs> <laughs> that means I get to be Gwyneth. Paltrow. <laughs> And I reckon James could definitely do a turd that looked like Klinger from MASH. Like 100%. <laughs> and that could be, that could be Chad. That could be the turd that looked like Klinger from MASH. <laughs> it's more like, it's probably closer to radar. <laughs> the, the joke still stands. 
<laughs> it literally <laughs> landed that way. <laughs> uh, no, look, my um, my second film. I don't know if you remember this one. This was a it was a, a childhood favorite of mine, um, but I never I could never remember the name because it mixed in with a couple of kind of this is it's an animated film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it mixed in with a couple of TV series in my head. Uh, and so it took me ages to find it was it wasn't until um i was hanging out at a at a, a dvd shop in america and i found a copy mgm had released it on dvd over there and i was like fuck this movie yes and i watched it again and it it for me it doesn't disappoint uh it's star chaser the legend of Orin. yep I'm, i haven't seen it but i know of it Ah, so this now this I've never seen it. It was originally released theatrically in 3D, and this is back. This is red and green, right? Red and blue 3D. Mm-hmm. So 3D conducing, but still pretty freaking awesome. And at the time, a lot of the reviews criticized it for being a Star Wars ripoff, which I don't really see. Like, I mean, I get like loosely, like it's much more a ripoff of of a couple of other things, in my opinion. More of a cash in than a ripoff. Uh, yeah, like it's, but yeah, like other than, yeah, yeah. I, and, and I think, I actually think if you go, if you go and watch Titan AE, you watch that and then watch Titan AE, you think Titan AE is a much bigger ripoff of, uh, of uh, Star Chaser than, uh, than Star Chaser is of Star Wars. But how good's Titan AE though? Love it. It's great. And, but if you like that, I think you, I think you really like uh, Star Chaser Legend of Orin. Basically, the, the plot line is, is this um, kid grows up in this mine this underground mind world where his entire race has been enslaved by this, um, uh, this guy called Lord Zygon, who's kind of impersonating a God who um, works who, like, and he's got all the people like working in like this mine and uh, they're all like slaves and they get, they're like the robot overlords kind of constantly whipping them and stuff. But they're told that they, you know, their life is provided to them by the, this fire God and all he wants is more, coal or star crystals or whatever the you know the stuff is and so that's you know that's all he wants in payment for keep it for feeding them and keeping them alive and they're all like starving and beaten and anyway while he's working in the mine one day he finds the hilt this kid um oren finds the this hilt of a sword but it doesn't have a blade in it and uh when he picks it up then it kind of it ends up having this kind of invisible blade that no that you can't see, but it does actually cut through things. Mm-hmm. And yeah. this kind of stuff happens, and he escapes the uh, the mine and discovers that there actually is like a world above, like that they didn't know existed. They thought that was the mine was all that was their world. <laughs> very city of and ember. Incredibly, yeah, very very city of ember. And he escapes, and he meets this kind of smuggler that's a Han Solo meets um, Frank Sinatra type type character. Uh, <laughs> um and it's it's uh the guy who does the voice of the um the kind of han solo type character is uh is carmel uh, pronounce his name uh carmen argenziano 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 he's from graduation day and death force and (laughs) i love it when you do that because it means i'm not alone (laughs) yeah well and the character's name he plays in the film is dag debrimi um but the guy (laughs) the guy who plays the um the Lord Zygon, the bad guy is is Anthony Delongis, who is um, Blade from Masters of the Universe. There's a little mm-hmm. Albert Pune uh, tie in, and he's also um, he's also one of the thugs in uh, Roadhouse. Ah. One of the 
another desert island film for uh well for me at least i don't know about both of us but definitely roadhouse is one of my desert island films can't uh wouldn't want to be stuck on a desert island without the best cooler in the business <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um there's all sorts of cool shit in this in this uh, film like they've got these these creatures called the mandroids and they're like um they're these robots who have kind of supplemented parts of their bodies with humans mm-hmm. with human bits of flesh and stuff so they're like half robot half kind of zombie looking things they're really cool and they look exactly like um what's that what's the jared sin um you know that sci-fi movie the uh it's got um molly ringwald in it and she's like really young oh uh, yeah that sci-fi one it's <laughs> the, the subtitle is the legend of jared sin yeah um, yeah yeah. no i don't know uh it's a cb it's a RCA Columbia video release. If that help, does that help you at all? No. Can I find out? I've got to find, she's like, I think she's oh, like 16. Yes. Uh, uh, it just got a re- re-release on Blu-ray. It's Space Hunter, Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. Yes, that's it. That, yeah, recently got a Blu-ray release. Um, yeah, with Peter Strauss. So it's not, so the Jared Sin's another one. That's a... Uh, what is the Jared Sin one? That's it. They're all they're all pretty similar, those. <laughs> but it's like the, the Mandroid characters are very similar to the kind of um creatures in, in Space Hunter. Uh but anyway. <laughs> that's, a, that's a weird tangent just to explain what these kind of guys looked at, but but it's pretty cool. It's a it's a really cool kind of film. I think it does it does need a bit of work in the script department, but it is definitely worth checking out. Like I always used to get it mixed up with um gold goldtar. Who had the two swords that joined together to make a kind of a yeah, and that was like yeah. he was the Earth. He was like an Earth astronaut who flew through a black hole and ended up in this in a like a strange planet where he became it was a Goldar and the Golden Lance. That's what it was called. And I always used to get the two mixed up, so I could never find Star Chaser until I until I found it in that video store. But definitely worth checking out if you can if you can find a copy here in Australia. But I would love to see that remade because it's. It looks very similar to a lot of the kind of Ralph Bakshi rotoscoped yep. Lord of the Rings and um, Wizards, a Fire and Ice, but it's not. It's not rotoscoped, I, I believe. Mm. It's more yeah. traditional kind of animation, but it'd be great to see it with that kind of, so, or even like a live action version. And I reckon Lomkamp would be great at remaking something like that. I'm going to try to track it down over the next week and uh, watch it. Um, but, you know, the one... Metal Storm. Metal Storm, the destruction of Jared Sin. That's the other. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. No. We've got to get these things right, mate. Uh, got to get it out there. I'm not going crazy. <laughs> these movies exist. So the one I want to see him remake is a movie that I talk about a lot on the show, but I've never actually stopped to recommend it, and it's Slipstream from 1989. And this is like... The hugely ambitious sci-fi adventure with the incredible cast of um, Mark Hamill, Bill Paxton, Ben Kingsley, Bob Peck, Robbie Coltrane's in there, F. Murray Abraham, and it was directed by Stephen Lisberger, who previously did Tron and Hot Pursuit. Hello, Ben. (laughs) Love me, Hot Pursuit. (laughs) And it's basically a neo-western that takes place in like a a wind-ravaged post-apocalyptic sort of um, wasteland telling the story of a bounty hunter played by Hamill who's on the hunt for a murderer played by Bob Peck. It's a really strange film and as much as I love it and I mean I really really love it it kind of also feels incomplete like there's something about it there's an amazing production but the way it's edited and put together just there's a sense that money ran out and 
things had to be scrounged together just to get it across the line. And I feel like it's a movie that needs to be done properly. And the reason this movie was so notable at the time was because it was produced by Gary Kurtz, who was George Lucas's producing partner on Star Wars and um, what are the what are the American Graffiti stuff like that. And they fell out over the direction of Star Wars after The Empire Strikes Back. And this was Kurt's um, attempt to sort of recapture the integrity of those first two Star Wars movies. And he almost gets there. Like, you know, there's something very gritty and dusty and, you know, just delicious about this one. But um, I can only imagine how amazing the film could be in the right hands. And I can see Blomkamp's visual style fitting the story and the landscape here just brilliantly. And actually a good one to compare it to, if that, um, that Ghibli film we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind, that, mm. that is pretty much an animation style or version of, of Slipstream. And I think uh, in live action with a new retelling, it'll be an amazing film. This always sits in the same kind of, um, conversation as Time Guardian and Last Starfighter for me because I think I watched them all roughly at the same time and for whatever reason Last Starfighter is the one that I mm. ended up kind of liking it like watching a lot more but you know these those three films like I, and I remember like because I think it was maybe it was that, that the Zerg alien in Last Starfighter is pretty similar to the kind of aliens in Time Guardian and and this one had like I always felt this one had a really kind of similar aesthetic to those to those films like there was you know because it's what 1989 so a bit later a bit later than I think um, Last Starfighter which I think is eighty seven mm. right so yeah but close enough so they you know absolutely and the yeah it had such a an amazing theatrical poster art like and and VHS cover and I think it was in you've probably got it there it's in one of those thick clamshells if I'm not mistaken and it was just a beautiful image and um, the film never quite lived up to that image but you know, it got so <laughs> close though it just it, there's something I don't know something about the production really appeals to me but imagine that with a huge budget be glorious but yeah so we chose Forrest Forrest Gump I, I, I liked watching this movie again so did I um, and then I kind of didn't like watching this movie oh, really? again. Yeah. I love watching Forrest Gump. It's a good movie. Um, I don't know. I didn't have the same sort of feels. Really? As that I had when I used to watch it. Oh. See, I sat with... Um... I think, no, actually, I had different feels, and I'll get into that. Okay. Than what I used to have. Okay. Watching it. I think it just kind of changed the way I watched it. Okay. Yeah. Um, Interesting. What I'll do is I'll do a synopsis mm -hmm. first. Um, this isn't one Synop of the best. Away. Synop away. That's a cool. That's a cool word. Synop away. <laughs> that's what I'm going to say every time you, you do. Should your that can be Synop your catchphrase? Synop away, Cleo. Synop away. <laughs> oh gosh, ninety-four. Um, huh? Ninety-four. Ninety-four what? Nineteen ninety-four. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were just saying ninety-four. I'm like, yes. what? 94 what? That's how I always start my sentences. <laughs> 1994, which would roughly make Hayley Joel Osment and I the same age. Okay. Because he was about four or five in this movie. Yeah, This was his true. very first movie. So, yeah, I didn't realise that, but was it would he four, make... He might actually be a little bit older because... No, well, I read I it. He, he was, was just four or five. short, wasn't he? No, no, he was four or five. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. 
Dude, I don't think we've ever discussed Forrest Gump on the show. What are your thoughts on it? Like, I, I, I like Forrest Gump. I like, I like parts of Forrest Gump, but the really the best thing about it is that Forrest Gump is directly is directly responsible for deep fake porn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> putting putting Tom Hanks's face on all those kind of historical things, and then obviously some bright spark in the porn where we're like, hang on a second, if we can put celebrities faces on porn star bodies we can have celebrity porn <laughs> like it's it's a genius idea i must admit i've never really understood the hate for forrest gump it's, you know it's a film that a lot of people like to make fun of but i i have no issue with it i think it's a great film yeah no i, I recently i watched an episode of um of the graham norton show with tom hanks on it where he talked about you know where he came up with the voice and he said it was actually the kid yes it was yeah. the kids the kid who played him when he was young he's like well Rather than try and get this kid to to fake my voice, why don't we? Why don't I just try and fake the kid's voice? And then that's how and that's how the kid talked. Do you want to have a crack yeah. at it? No. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't remember how it goes. Like, but he's he it was he did it was really good. <laughs> I was running, <laughs> <laughs> running. He'd always put the hard, the hard G at the end of it. Yeah, there's actually on Netflix the um the movies that made us a recent episode with um talking about Forrest Gump and that kid comes back to talk about that experience and he kind of still talks the same. Oh, does he? I thought I thought the yeah I thought it was he'd lost that accent because you know he's still he, he, he's he's matured but there's a little twang in there because they say you know like a big thing about the regional accents and stuff are, are disappearing because television now goes everywhere. Like this, so these dialects are slowly disappearing because people learn how to how to sound, how to speak from TV, and they all speak with that, you know, the general general American, yeah. rather than you know, you know, their actual nat nat you know native regional accent. That's right. Who would know George Clooney's from Kentucky? I, I didn't know that he was from Kentucky. Indeed. <laughs> well, not really. His parents, like his his aunt was in show business. His dad was in show business. Like he's a Kentuckian. Really, yeah. Is he? It's like, oh, I guess, Brett, you know, Brad Pitt's, Brad Pitt's from the Ozarks. Yeah, but um, anyway, uh, I digress. <laughs> the good news is, if I'm not mistaken, Chloe will be back on the show next week after her little bit of a gap. So looking forward to that. And Ben, I, I really hope that, that Neil Blomkamp is paying attention and listening to the show because we are, we are dishing up uh, these suggestions on a silver platter, mate. Like, you know, <laughs> we are essentially paving the next 10 years for him. Yeah, we should get thanks on on the on the movie credits of his next five films. <laughs> yes, that's right. So what what what's the next one going to be for you? Uh the next one look this is a movie I think I've talked about it on the show numerous times and I will continue to talk about it until everyone who listens to the show has tracked down a copy and seen it. <laughs> it is 1991's Steel and Lace. <laughs> this movie is like I remember I remember my mum borrowing it on video and the video cover is pretty unexciting and she and my dad watched it and like I think I would have been like 1920 and uh I you know I think at that time I would have come around and they they were like oh yeah we just borrowed this you should really watch it and I'm like huh, I don't know I think I know a little bit more about about movies than uh, than you guys do and I've never heard of it so uh <laughs> thanks but no thanks old lady and uh it kind of just missed it and then i don't know why somehow i kind of i was like fine i thought oh look i'll give it a go like what the hell like and this is well, this would have been 10 years later 
and it, it absolutely blew me away. It is, it is awesome. It's a kind of, it's listen on IMDb. They put the genre down as sci-fi. I don't think it's really sci-fi, but it's, uh, it's more kind of horror kind of with a bit of like, there is, there is definitely kind of science elements to it, but it's, I wouldn't call it a science fiction film, but um, it's directed, funnily enough, it's directed by Ernest De Farino who did visual effects on the old uh, cyborg mm-hmm. and, and the thing. And he, he's done a bunch of awesome TV. Norbert Weiser is in the thing. Oh, is Norbert Weiser in the thing? Yeah, he's one of the Norwegians. At the start, yeah, yeah. right. You don't really see their faces. I, I could be forgiven. <laughs> hey, he's also in uh, Three Amigos, so he's one of the um the guys that gets his um his arm pinned to the pole at the start. You know the Germans. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's Norbert. He gets he gets beaten by little Neddy. <laughs> Of the little daddy, and then I learned stunt doubles <laughs> and, uh, with the male plane, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, the, the plot line of Steel and Lace is um, Claire Wren uh, gets she she's a concert, a concert, um, I think celloist, I think, or pianist of some sort. They don't really show what, what instrument she plays, but she's a concert musician. And um, she gets brutally uh, pack pack raped oh. by um, by Michael uh, Sir, um, Severice and and uh, his friends. One of his friends, which is um, Brian Backer, who's like the the nerdy guy from Fast Times at Ridgemont High that has the crush on uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, which is it's a very odd role for him. Um, and the movie starts with the kind of the court case at the beginning. Uh, and where um, the judge, for some reason, lets the five friends uh, testify as witnesses, as like an alibi, even though they're all there and participating in the rape. It's a really weird kind of thing. And the, so the guy gets off and Claire Wren and her, her brother is played by Bruce Davidson, who who they <laughs> they mentioned at the start in a lovely bit of exposition is a, a NASA scientist in charge of their <laughs> AI division. It's a great little uh, great little plug for things to come. Uh, when she loses the case and they all get off for free, she basically goes to the top of the uh, courthouse and jumps off the roof and kills herself. Uh, and then it kind of cuts to 10 years later and Bruce Davidson has actually built this Android version of his sister that disguises herself. Like she wears a whole bunch of different kind of masks and stuff. And then just, and she one by one kills all of the friends in like super gory, Amazing. Awesome. Like the, the first one, she kind of, she hugs close and this spinning propeller razor blade thing comes out of her stomach and like literally cuts, like seven, cuts the guy in half. And then this, in the, in the kind of the next one, she, um, she's act, she pretends to be an FBI agent, like a male FBI agent. And she takes the guy at the back to get him to put on a wire. And while he's doing it, he kind of, he opens his shirt and then boobs kind of pop out and she turns into Claire Wren. <laughs> and then she kind of, she grabs the guy's head and holds it against the wall and then pulls the rest of his body down. So all that she's left holding is the guy's head and a spinal column. Love it. It's like, it's all like super full on kind of gore uh, effects. It's really good. And like, she gets her revenge on all five of the friends and David Norton plays the cop who's trying to investigate it. And uh, Stacey Heideck from uh, The Adventures of Superboy, she pops up for seemingly for unknown reasons. Like what her, <laughs> she's like, she's in the beginning, she's like the court kind of um, artist. She does the paintings of all of the, 
the, the you know, people in the courtroom. And you're like, why is she in the rest of the film? Other than the fact that she's gorgeous and she's becomes David Norton's kind of love interest. But um, yeah, it's just, this, it's, a, it's a really excellent film. I, I think it's totally um, underrated, very uh, little, little known, but rife for, a, for an awesome remake. If they remake it, they could call it I Spit on Your Cyborg. Yeah, I spit on your circuits. Yeah. I spit on your circuits. (laughs) I'm going to keep my final one brief, mainly because I haven't seen it in a very long time. And um, I just know that I liked it from many years ago. It's a bit of a forgotten film. Green thing. And um, (laughs) particular aspects of it don't hold up very well, but it's 1989 again. It's Leviathan, directed by George P. Costamos, who did um, Rambo 2, Cobra, Tombstone. This one stars Peter Weller, Richard Krenner, Daniel Stern, Ernie Hudson, Hector Elizondo. You can never have enough Elizondo. And um, <laughs> Usually in a martial film, so it's very odd. That, yeah. Uh... It's one of those movies that came out with the, the sort of the, the trend of deep sea sci-fi movies in the 80s. So you had the Abyss and Deep Star 6, and this was another one. And yeah, this was... This was I was going to say, those two very two films. These are the two films that I always used to... Leviathan, yep. Deep Star yeah. and the Abyss. I always thought like, you know... And then much later on, Sphere. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's... um, I mean, it, it probably doesn't stand up as well as those other two, in my mind. But it was about a group mm. of deep sea miners who essentially dig up a giant sea creature and... um. You know, and that that ends up being a product of sort of failed genetic experiments and things like that. But it, it kind of is a rip off of Alien, I guess. A little bit of 2010 in there. There's a lot of influences, and um, I just remember loving it. But I do remember it being incredibly hokey. And what's that? It's like a like underwater kind of. Is it underwater the the? Yes, totally. The, 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 the Kristen Stewart one. Yeah, Kristen Stewart one. Yeah. Which that in and of itself was one of the most underrated movies of last year, I think. Yeah, I loved that film. I thought it was great. Yeah, so Leviathan, look, I haven't seen it in a long time. I I suspect I would still love it if I went back and watched it now, but I'll tell you what, it would be great if Blomkamp could tackle this one. I think the material suits him and it would be a spectacular thing. I think the aesthetic and all the vessel designs and the creature designs, the underwater stuff, I think that would be something interesting to see him do is, you know, sub, sub-aquatic. Yeah, and I, look, I like the idea too that, uh, you know, doing those underwater movies is a freaking nightmare. Yeah. That working in the tanks or the working on the ocean, and I just like I like to see successful people have to work for their success. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let's make it a bit difficult. Yep. Well, um, I tasked Adam with finding a cyber tech related movie to talk about. Left him to interpret that however he wanted, and uh, let's uh, let's see what he came up with. Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen and Triple M with another good movie Monday recommendation. Uh, This week we are doing Cybertech movies and when that idea was floated to me, a certain item shot straight into my brain and I'm like, the lawgiver. That's what I wanted to talk about. What is the lawgiver? Where is the lawgiver? Well, we're talking about dread, okay? And we're not talking about Judge Dread, the Sylvester Stallone movie, which I still have a sweet spot for because God, I watched that thing on VHS a lot and I played the shit out of the Super Nintendo game that accompanied it. I'd get any merch for that that I could, but no, the reboot, Dread, or Dread 3D, I know 3D's no longer a thing, that was directed by Pete Travis and written by the brilliant Alex Garland. 
The Lawgiver is Dread's gun. Basically, you can talk into this thing and it will change up its rounds and it will dispense violence and justice in however you see fit. And I always thought as a kid that that was the most rock and roll thing that anyone could have and made Dread a real standout character for me. I mean, I always dug the aesthetic of the 2018 comics. I liked this post-apocalyptic, you know, absolutely grim world. And here, this film, captures that aesthetic and that tone really, really well. I mean, Alex Garland, I think, you know, is one of the great science fiction writers of our age. There's some insider baseball shit that I'm always interested in and that you could get into too as well reading about this film. So a lot of people seem to consider that this be a, this is a film that's directed by Alex, even though he's the only credited writer. So it was shot by Pete, but then it was edited by Alex. And so there seems to be, you know, a bit of confusion there about whose final cut this really is. And that seems to be something that, you know, for cinephiles that we're all fascinated with, with the Snyder Cut and stuff like that. So will we get a different cut of Dread at some stage? I don't know. Maybe you can sign up and start the petition. But the film that is locked, the film that is on stand right now, is honestly, is rock and roll. And I was just revisiting a review that I wrote that was on Rotten Tomatoes and I called it, you know, one of the year's most gratifying genre films. And I still agree with that assessment. So this is set in Mega City One, which is a rock and roll setting. And once again, inside of baseball, a lot of people kind of have the shits because they were like, the raid came out at the same time. And so Mega City One has a district called Peach Trees. Peach Trees is a tower. Up at the top of the tower is a awful, awful drug lord played by Lena Headey here called Mama. And basically, you know, she is making examples of people and she wants conflict uh, effectively, hyper-violent character. And so we've got two judges here, you know, the, uh, you've got Judge Dredd and Judge Anderson working their way up levels to get to Mama. And so that sounds very much like The Raid. But look, whenever these dueling movies come out, like, you know, Armageddon, Deep Impact, Volcano, Dante's Peak, I never whinge. I'm like, cool, I reckon it's great that we've got two similar movies. I think it's a, it's a curious element of cinema that's kind of fascinating that we all talk about. So if you get two movies where two people are kicking ass all the way up to the top, I'm never going to whinge about that. And this movie does kick a lot of ass. It is really violent. And, uh, you know, another element of kind of like the cybertech is the kind of, the you know, an element of the MacGuffin in this is this drug called slow-mo. So basically everyone, you know, who can get their hands on it in Mega City One is having a puff on this drug that slows time down to 1%. Convenience. And what that allows, you know, Pete and Alex to do here in their film is to make it visually splendid like i mean it just looks wild when they cut this in so you've got you know these beautiful painterly vistas and then you know then you punctuate them with this hyper violence in slow-mo people getting their cheeks blown out and shit like that so that's definitely one of the probably coolest elements enduring from this take on dread we never got the sequel that we we're kind of promised and i mean i would watch you know um carl urban chew his way through the scenery in about five of these things. So, I mean, look, he's still kicking ass in the boys and giving a similar gruff performance. So maybe he can just stick the helmet back on and we could get another Dread film. But yeah, as it stands, I think that, yeah, Dread is like, you know, punctuated with a bunch of really cool cybertech, um, cool ideas and hyper-violence. What's not to like? Check it out on stand right now. Dread, that's another one perfectly suited to Neil's sensibilities. Yeah. And it's a fantastic film. I mean, it is, um, yeah, the the raid yeah. or the or the raid is it because it was it came out first. It's been around longer. Judge Dredd has been around longer, but all of that two thousand AD, any of that two thousand AD stuff, would be great 
totally because uh, it's totally it's you know not that we want to see him do the same thing every time but it's totally in his wheelhouse yep absolutely and just when we we're talking before one that came to my mind that i'd love to see him do is something like robo jocks or robot jocks i should say yeah or that crash and burn that kind of stuff yeah like the mech warrior yeah the mech warrior type stuff but if he was going to do like you know strontium dog or any of those you know 2000 ad uh comic comics as well like if he was going to adapt a comic book yeah those british kind of um you know thatcher era comic books would be fantastic i'm gonna throw some ambitious ones here's a couple just throwaway titles i would love to see him do or i think he would be perfect for a new adaptation of the wizard of oz books i think he'd be great at doing that like adapt Mm. all the books into maybe even an event series or something or never ending story someone like him tackling that material but instead of it being Dorothy being like the like a farm girl ninja, have it, <laughs> one of the, no, I was gonna say have it one of those child soldiers from from one of the African nations. <laughs> so totally jaded, just you know, flies to Oz with the with an M sixteen and just takes those flying monkeys down, man. <laughs> totally different outcome. Even you mentioned before, um, the City of Ember stories. Like, imagine if he did all four of those. Yeah, like a decent, like I, I think that would be. I think City of Ember actually really deserves more of a Game of Thrones esque TV series where you can really yep properly, and there's enough in there to for it to be episodic rather than like because that was the, my biggest problem with the movie, and I know you liked it, was that it does it leaves so much stuff, so much of the actual character building parts that makes you care about the characters and this has always been my biggest problem with adaptations like that is that they almost expect you to have read the book and like mm-hmm. characters because they don't give you a chance to because they're so busy cramming as much of the story in i wholeheartedly they- agree but even the story is full of gaps i will admit that you know they get from yeah. a to b you know really conveniently yeah which is you know for me it's it's like you know silence of the lambs that ending like like i watched the last time i watched silence of the lambs i watched the movie then i read the book and then i watched the movie again <laughs> and for the life of me i was like I, like in the book she figures out where wild bill is and in the movie it's just uh, uh, hello i'm looking for uh i'm with the fbi i'm looking for wild bill like that's a that's a really bad uh, Jody. Like I don't know, she does she does southern, but it's not that southern. Do not do uh, not adjust your podcast if you're having a sense of deja vu. Ben has told that precise story I've, many I've, times. I've ranted about it before, <laughs> but uh, um, look, but hey, if I don't remember telling it, hopefully listeners don't remember hearing it. <laughs> as we uh, as we bring the show towards a close, I definitely want to just thank Neil once again for that chat. His new film, Demonic, is now on Blu-ray and DVD. If you haven't seen it, um, get on it, have a look. If you love his work, it's um, yeah, it's it's unique compared to his other stuff. So it's definitely worth a look. Once again, um, bow our heads to the great Norm Macdonald. Um, his passing hit us very hard. So we will continue to reference him on a near weekly basis, I'm sure. Go and watch our video tribute to Norm. It's on our social media pages. And thank you to our crew, Jarrett, Guillermo, Adam, Joe, Chad, and James, and of course, Chloe, who will be back next week, and Tia for all of her hard work behind the scenes, helping out. Really appreciate it. And keep up with us by liking and subscribing all of our social media platforms and visit goodmoviemonday.com for links to all of those relevant said platforms. 
Big thanks to you, big man. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And big thank you to Joe. I love you, man. <laughs> this, is a, this deserves a, a, a spin-off podcast, I think. Yeah, just me and Joe. <laughs> and, but the whole, it's silence because we're just, we're talking to each other over Vimeo, staring into each other's eyes for 60 minutes. <laughs> well, then it has to be a vodcast. It has to be, yeah, it's, it's for YouTube. Yeah, and we'll set it to an extreme zoom. So over the progression of the whole episode, it just, it's just one big slow zoom right into the YouTube. Well, it could, or it could just be the two of us eating. and It's a mukbang video. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Like, Today we're going to have KFC. <laughs> and, just and it turns, it turns into yes. Killer Joe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, the competition is who, which of us can have a heart attack first. <laughs> Uh, no water for you. Must be Pepsi or Coke. <laughs> Swish it down. Yeah. Has to be the hard stuff. Oh dearie. Mountain Dew, maybe Mountain Dew. Yes, let's get into that Kentucky theme. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, time to wrap things up. As I said, next week Ruby Rose will be our guest. Looking forward to uh, that show. We'll be talking about kooky, kid-friendly horror movies, which is kind of our forte. But here is um. Here's a Paul Oakfield remix of a nerd song, N-E-R-D song, <laughs> called Lap Dance from the Swordfish soundtrack. Do you remember that movie? I do indeed. That's the uh, <laughs> it's the uh, Halle Berry's boob. Each boob is worth, what, $10 million or whatever? <laughs> what was it? Were paid to, to whip them out? Man, I, I shouldn't have been paying so much attention to, um, to John Travolta's toupee. Um, look, that's, I mean, I think that was the beginning of the end for the toupee was when it became really noticeable. But then I remember there's a scene where Hugh Jackman has to hack, has to hack the computer while getting a blowjob. And like, that was, that's the first, like, that's the first thing that takes you right out of the film. And you're like, yeah, Hugh Jackman's a computer whiz. Like no one who looks like Hugh Jackman is working in the, like I was, I was listening to the Mark Maron interview with Norm Macdonald and he was talking about. Uh, how um, when like Jay Moore got into comedy and how like Louis C.K. and Norm were all like, like, uh, like this is not for him. It's <laughs> comedy is not for people like him. It's for people like us. And Mark Maron is saying like, it's really, it's, it is hard for, for regular people to feel sympathy for, um, <laughs> for good looking people. Cause you're like, you know, you can't really complain that your life's shit when like you're, you're, you're beautiful. Because no one's just like, oh, yeah, like you still got a full head of hair, asshole. Like fucking suck it up. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, this one's a this one's a, this one's a banger. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next week.
Now that's first class fucking ain't that some fly shit. Baby, you want me? 